thankful to be here tonight. Uh, thank you that you are online. We're, tonight, of course, we're live streaming only uh, for the next few weeks uh, or until we're told that we can meet again in person. And uh, so in the meantime, there are a few of us here who are making this continue or go. Thank you to you, each one of you that are here. And then the rest are online. And we thank God for your presence, all of you. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness, for your mercy, for your care, and for your love, for this opportunity to study your word. Please help us, Lord God, open our minds to understand. Help us, Lord God, to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We may bring glory and honor unto your name in all that we say and do. Give us the words of wisdom to speak while we're in the streets. Give us the example to live to be the reflection of Jesus, a shining light unto the world. Help us, Lord God, to never forget that amazing sacrifice made in our behalf. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. Be thy will. Amen. Okay, tonight we are um, meditating now. So Philippians 4, verse 8, let your mind meditate or dwell on these things. And so the key to godly living is godly thinking. So we want to start thinking about that uh, right at this moment. Philippians chapter 2, godly thinking is critical to godly living so that everything that we do, it becomes certainly a reaction from the mind. Of course, we know it is a reaction from the mind, but if we put purity in the mind, then what we, the reaction that people will see will be godly because it's in our mind. Philippians 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. We could use that verse right about now, couldn't we? Uh, the grumbling part, can't we? You know? um, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So to be that reflection of Jesus, it has to be something that's on our heart or on our minds. And so the scripture introduces the thought of grumbling. Don't grumble because then we're like the world. Instead, be a light to the world so that they might see the greatness and the glory and the shining light, the reflection of Jesus Christ within our hearts. So now the question is, what is it that men and women are to dwell on? And I, I really think when you look at the scriptures, you'll find that as we consider meditation, it really brings us back. Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, 4 through 7, that piece that surpasses all comprehension, brings you to verse 8. And the only way to rejoice always, again, I say rejoice, is to put your mind on Jesus. I mean, there's no other way to do it. Uh, there's, there are too many disappointments in this life to to have my heart, my mind, my my nature, my attitude, uh, the life of Jesus. I think about everything about Jesus. That's where I find what my focus that brings the greater joy in my heart. Because if not, I'm thinking about myself, right? Or my circumstance, my situation, uh, the pandemic, the troubles. And and so I'm, I'm more out of control. But rather, to have a God-controlled life is to set boundaries around our mind, and, and that boundary uh, should be limited, if you will, to Jesus, right? Jesus, who is true and pure and noble 
and lovely and of good repute. Everything in Philippians 4 verse 8 surrounds itself around Jesus, even that which is praiseworthy, right? To praise God. We can't praise ourselves, right? The Bible tells us not to do it. We don't, we don't need to praise people. We praise God. We praise Jesus our Lord, for he is worthy. Whatever is Jesus, whatever is according to his nature, whatever uh, pulls us to the, the greater good of Jesus, the greater intimacy with our God, that's the thing that we ought to think about. Those are the things that we ought to dwell on, and those are the things that we ought to think about. Matthew chapter 5. As we learn to read the Word of God, I think it's, you know, I think it's a skill. I think it's a God-given skill to read the Word of God, to learn to read the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Um, you don't read it like a book. I mean, it is a book. I get it. But it's, it's a message from God to me. And when you read the message of God, you pray first. And you say, Lord, please reveal to me what you would like for me to understand today about who? Me. What, Lord, do I need to see in your word? What could you reveal to me in your word to help me to be a better, stronger child of yours. Help me not only to hear what you have to say, but to receive it deep within the recesses of my heart. And as your word goes into my heart, right, this one, not here, here, right, as it goes into my heart, help me to Make the changes that you desire of me. And then create in me a new heart. A clean heart. Create in me a desire to read your word and learn from it. Right? Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied to hunger and th- think about that to crave how many of us crave the word of god i mean you know you go through your day and um sometimes we're we're, we're busy uh life becomes hectic and we're, we're just going 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 do you miss it when when you haven't gotten to it for your day or can you go the whole day into the night, to the next day, never even realized that you hadn't read your Bible. How many of us can go a week like that, a month like that? Think about that for a moment. Do you crave it? That's why I say there's a skill to, to reading God's Word. There's this intimate relationship that must exist between man and God. So the psalmist, David says in Psalm 42 in verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Does our soul long after this word? There is a skill that one must develop in Christ in reading his book. It cannot be something that we pick up like the daily newspaper and just get our reading uh, through for the day, but rather something that is, that is 
craved, desired, uh, something that we cannot live without, something that we are longing for. We're longing to hear our Savior speak to us. And He does it through His Word. Right? Uh, James chapter 1. God, talk to me. What do you want me to gain from your Word today as I open up the pages and I begin to read? So, verse 19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So I believe part of that skill is the putting aside, the putting away. To put away the mind of wickedness or the mind of evil, to to set self aside and allow God to speak to you. You have to make room for God in your heart. And sometimes we don't have the room. There's just not enough room in my heart for Jesus today. There's too much stuff going on all around me, and so I don't have the time to focus my mind on Jesus, the gift giver of life. To receive the word of God, not as shallow, but prayerfully, deeply implanted within my heart. Those are the things that must occur in order for this transformation to occur to where my mind is dwelling on, meditating on, or thinking about the very pages of Scripture and the words written therein. Thank you, God, for your message, holy and true. So, let's take a look at Matthew 4. And let's think about this for just a moment. Um, just, just, I want to think about Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. And I want, you to, I want you to go with me in this, if you could. Beginning at verse 1. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right. There are the Scriptures. There are the Scriptures. Go with me for a moment. Think just for a moment. The last time that you walked into Cars, Safeway, or Fred Myers, when you walked in around 5 p.m., what did you smell? Whatever was cooking. And as you walked in, your taste buds began to bother you just a little bit. And the idea behind that, if you go and you study uh, marketing, you'll find that the reason that uh, you walk in and you smell, ta- you smell the food is to make you buy more products. That's, that's the whole reason, right, behind it. it. There's something about it. It gets into your mind because you are not only engaging uh, from your eyes, from your vision, but you are also now uh, gathering another sense. And, you know, so there's the, the sense of smell. And the sense of taste, right? And there's 
a sense of sight. And then when you go through and you start, you know, you figure out which bread you want, which loaf of bread you feel, the, you want the soft one. Touch. Right? And they know they're going to get you, right? Well, imagine Jesus having been taken, carried away, taken off into this desert place all by himself. And imagine Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, he's in, in the wilderness. And I cannot explain to you or describe what that wilderness scene is. The Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us. But while he's out there, the Bible says somewhere around, you know, maybe the 30th day or I don't know how many days in. But he was really hungry. We know at the 40th day, he was at his peak in hunger. Can you, can you see him now with Satan? Do you think Satan just, I mean, think for a moment. Do you think Satan had that smell of bread? You know, that soft smell of bread just hot off of the, the rocks out of the oven. And Jesus could taste it. You know. It's a temptation, you see. I'm just saying it's a temptation. Jesus says, he collects himself, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone. If you get that bread, it's not going to save you, not your soul. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the very word that the psalmist in Psalm 42 said, that as a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul panteth for you. It's the same hungering and thirsting for the Word of God that you can smell it, you can taste it, you want it deep into your heart, you can see it, and you know how badly you desperately need it, the Word of God. What does the verse of Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, what does it mean to you when you when you read it? How are you being drawn to, to Jesus is the Word of God like spiritual bread? The very thing that you need to keep yourself alive, to keep yourself going in Christ every single day. What is God saying to me? What does God want me to know? Not you, me personally. What does God want me to know? In what way is God attempting to mold me, to transform me, to change me? What is God trying to bring into my heart as he renews me and fills me up? Am I feeding on the Word of God or am I feeding on self? Am I feeding on on the the, the mind of Christ or am I in a feeding frenzy in this world? Am I allowing Jesus to penetrate deep within my heart so that as I meditate, as I think about the Word of God, I can see it, hear it, taste it, smell it, touch it. That's what God wants from us. That's how John 14 and verse 27 translates into our minds to where the Word of God becomes so much a part of us to where there's nothing more important than the Scriptures. True inner peace is in the Spirit, 
and can never be found in the flesh. Am I longing, am I yearning for that true inner spiritual peace that God brings? Verse 27 of John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, but not like the world, or not as the world gives. This is a different kind of peace. This is the type of peace that is, or has penetrated the heart. So now when you look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, you, you understand a little more about what Jesus is trying to say to us uh, through the Apostle Paul when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is what it almost sounds like. The more that I begin to worry, the more that I need to read and pray. So I may be reading and praying throughout most of my day, right? I I begin to worry, and I pick the Bible up, and I just start reading and reading and reading, and I pray and pray and pray and read and read and read and pray, and then I go a little longer, and then I begin to worry again, and God says, get back in the Word, and I get back into the Word, and I read, 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 and I pray, pray. You see what God wants us to do? He wants us to totally depend upon Him to clear or free our minds, right? To step away for just a moment, and this is tough, but to step away for just a moment from self from the world, from all the world's activities, to step away for just a moment and give it all to Jesus. That means that I need to learn how to relax my mind, calm my heart, um, control my breathing, just focus. I was thinking about um, Psalm 23 when the the night I... (laughs) Um, had that kidney stone, uh, when, I guess, anyway, that, that hospital night, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a fun one. Uh, but the idea is, okay, well, um, you know, it was kind of hard to control my mind. <laughs> it's kind of hard to stop for a moment and say, hey, you know, you're, nothing exploded inside of you, you're going to be all right. Uh, but, but eventually, you know what happened when you find, when you found out, I guess I, I found this out. The, the doctor says, look, I want you to know, the, the good news is we know what it is. The bad news is it's a kidney stone. And then I, I thought to myself, well, doctors shouldn't talk that way, but maybe they do. Right? <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, why would that be bad news? It's a kidney stone. At least you know what it is. It's a kidney stone. Well, I never had one before. It was bad news. But you know, it was great news to my ears. And I'll tell you why. There's something about knowing your situation that allows us a little more relaxation. And I'll tell you why. It's because we like being in control. If he'd come back and said, "We, you know, the good news is there's no good news. We have no clue what's wrong with you. Uh, you know, and you, we just can't figure it out. And I'm sitting there, you know, 
uh, in pain. I'm like, come on, you can't figure it out with all this technology. There's something about not knowing. And, and, and there's something about knowing. So the more that we know God's word, the more relaxing life becomes because we learn to leave ourselves in the hands of the good shepherd. And in Psalm 23, I was thinking about this passage. In verse 2, he maketh me lie down. And, and that's what shepherds, good shepherds have to do to the sheep. They gotta make them lay down sometimes because they won't. And I thought, you know, alright Lord, maybe this is that opportunity where I'm gonna lay down for a little bit. And I did. <laughs> kinda forced to. To, to pray is a great tool. It's a great tool that God has given us to help us to relax. Prayer. Spending time in prayer to God. Just thinking about God in your prayer. And thinking about your, your maybe, your, maybe for just a moment, you're outside of yourself. And, and you're in this prayer. And the prayer is not a shallow prayer, but a deep, heartfelt prayer. And it's not necessarily about something, but rather giving praise and honor and glory to God and saying, wow, I, here I am today. And to thank God that you, you're listening to me, me. And, and I know that you, you've already responded to everything I'm, I'm saying to you. And, and I know there's joy in the heavens because I'm, I'm talking to you and, and you're listening to me. You remembered I'm just dust. And yet you're God. And how great you are. This, this, this meaningful relationship carries us into this amazing peace that only comes from Christ. Because we know something about our relationship as God's children. It's not false. It's not pretend. It's not fiction. It's real. It's true. It's righteous. Because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Prayer helps us to apply the, the concept of the mind over matter idea, right? Mind over matter. That works as well, doesn't it? Mind over matter. And I remember hearing that over and over and over again, especially while, while training in the, in the military. I remember hearing mind over matter. When you think you cannot go on and you, you know, you develop this mind over matter attitude. It's amazing what you can do, what you can accomplish in the physical. And then in the, in the world of boxing, and, and 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 your coach he convinces you you're all right, and you're going, no, I'm not. And then you go, yes, you are, and you go, no, I'm not. And then somewhere in there, it's mind over matter, and you go back out for another round. And that's what the heroes of faith are saying to us when we feel like we're not all right, and we're not able to go on, and we want to give up. And somewhere in there, as we read the scriptures and as we pray to God. Mind of a matter comes in and God says, you're all right. And we begin, we begin to believe God and we're able to go the next or the extra mile or the next step. Sometimes it's just a step, right? One step forward and ten backwards, right? I mean, you know, so that means technically at least I've got nine. Well, maybe nine are gone, but I've got one. And all I need is one. Right? One plus God means we win. We don't have to have all ten, brethren. One plus God means that we win. And so in this relationship with our, with our minds and, 
and striving to dwell on God. See the spirit world. Now, this is kind of, you know, oh, well, preacher, you know, what do you mean the spirit world? Well, we believe in the angelic realm, don't we? I mean, we have to understand everything about the angelic realm, but we understand there is an angelic realm. We know God created the angels for the purpose of serving men. We know that God dispatched angels for many reasons throughout life. What is God doing today? Well, better than the angel, we have God himself with us and inside of us. Can you see the victory? So I want to go back to um, Kings. 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. So one of our great tools is is, is prayer. And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, I want you to see or have your eyes open. I want you to see as the servant of Elisha, as as he sees, his eyes were not focused on on God. I can imagine in this account that, well, the Arameans uh, are, are coming upon to, to get Elisha because Elisha is telling Israel, uh, the king of Israel, the plans of the Arameans. And so the king is upset and he, he sends a whole massive army down to uh, to to gather up Elisha and and to destroy him as well as Israel. And Elisha, if you look at the, when we look at the text, Elisha has this cool, calm spirit about him in the midst of a frantic young lad or young man. I want to grab verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 14. And he sent horses and chariots. This is the king, the Arameans. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had arisen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So here's this frantic attendant, this servant. You know, he may have been older or younger. It doesn't matter. But the point of the matter is he's frantic. He's looking at the physical. And he sees this huge, massive army that appears overnight. And he, he comes to his master and says, Alas, what shall we do? And Elisha, I can just see him, this cool, calm, collective spirit. He says, you, you folks keep looking at the world. You, you know, uh, as we, we get stuck. We get stuck in the world's affairs. We want to change the world. As if we're going to be here forever. As if we're not strangers passing through. We want to save everything we have. We want this. We want that. Elisha says, you need to see the spirit world. When you see the spirit world, you have no reason to fear. Elisha prays to God. He says, God, when you open up this boy's eyes so he can see what he needs to see, well, what do I not see? What do I need to see? I see an army surrounding us, and our army is not prepared. What do I need to see? What am I not seeing? And God opens his eyes up, and he looks to the mountains. And, and he sees not just chariots, chariots of fire, the angelic realm. 
And he knows he's safe. And he knows it's going to be all right. And what I'm saying to you is what the Bible has taught us and teaches us over and over again is when you're a Christian, if you look at the world, we lose. But if you look from a spiritual perspective, we can't lose. We win time and time and time again. So the question tonight is, am I, am I stuck in the flesh or am I walking by faith? Right? When you walk by faith, you know that the perfect, wonderful, awesome, magnificent God is in complete and total control. Not just of my life, but of the whole world and the spirit world as well. And so Paul says, for that reason, you could add that before, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Because we recognize something that we sometimes, maybe often, forget. Our value. You are valuable to God. You are important to God. I just can, I just feel that, you know, when I read the scriptures that, that God hurts when I hurt, when you hurt, when you cry. You know, I'm thinking about Jesus, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Why is Jesus weeping when the Lazarus, he knows what he's about to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the grave and, and pull him out of the tomb and, and everything's going to be all right physically, even spiritually. But Jesus wept because they were weeping. And they say, oh, what great love he had for them. I know God knows when we hurt, when we're struggling, when we're suffering. And, and I know that, that for some of us, this is going to be a lot easier than, than for others of us. And, and, and you know, I, I get that. But you, you just have to try just a little bit. The faith, not of a mountain, but, but the converse, the opposite. Faith of a mustard seed. That's all he asked for. Can you see what Jesus saw while he walked on the earth? Can you see what the prophets saw as they walked on the earth? Can you see what the Christians in the early church saw as they lived for Jesus amidst the terrible persecution? Brethren, what, what are you looking at? What are you looking at tonight? The book of Jude, verse 24 and 25. Do we still believe that God is able? And the, and the amazing thing about the scripture is that when it says God is able, there's no limit at the end. You know, it's like, like God is able to pick up that bench. God is, a, God is able, period. <laughs> All things that are good. And righteous. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore or forever. Amen. Think about this for a moment. Brethren, you live faithfully for Jesus. 
And, and, and one day, as you know, as we know, we're all going to die until the Lord comes back. And you're going to stand before God. And, and if, I, I know I would stand before God. I'm, I'm, I'm shivering and, and, and trembling. And, and, cause I don't know what the, the, I'm praying God. I, I, the mercy of, I'm looking for His mercy. And then God calls me. He, He calls me pure and blameless. And I go, you, you know. <laughs> I know you're not talking about me. <laughs> I'm mischievous. Uh, but it's that blood of Jesus, right? And that faith of a mustard seed. Maybe I have a mustard seed. Well, it's, it's Jesus, right? Let your mind dwell on Jesus. Stop dwelling on everything else. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Dwelling on Jesus is where we gain this amazing amount of strength. Verse 9, regarding uh, giving to the poor saints of Jerusalem, verse 9 says, And it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness abides forever. That's verse, excuse me, that's verse 9. I'm going to go to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. It is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. You ever heard some, I, the old people would say this, old meaning like, you know, a hundred. Uh, the older folks would say, you can't outgive God. And I'd say, oh, you, 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 uh, yeah, it's true, right? He says, I, I will take, I will take what you, what you've given and I will spread it. And I will, I will not only spread it, I'll bring it back to you. And you go, wow, right? God is able. Um, Ephesians chapter three and verse 20. Going the wrong way. The Bible says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Does that verse still apply or was that just, is, is our God still the same God? I'm not a psalm leader, but like John does, right? Go back and read that again. Now to him who is able, verse 20, to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. What if it was just, now to him who is able to do exceedingly all that we ask. You say, wow, that's a lot. But this doesn't stop there. It says exceedingly and or abundantly, wait, he's exceedingly and abundantly, more than you can ever imagine, more than you could ever think or wish for, exceedingly abundantly beyond. That's a, that's an amazing verse. Does that verse still apply in our lives? As we think about uh, our current pandemic, COVID, it, does that verse still apply? What do you think? Do we just you want to? You know, it's like some of those verses in the Bible, we, we, as Christians, we look at them, we go, well, maybe that one doesn't quite apply. We just, you know, you kind of, maybe you tear it out of your Bible. I don't know. Does it still apply, church? Yes, it does. But the question is not really, 
does it still apply? Because God's word is forever. It's already settled in heaven. The question is, do you believe that it still applies? This is the personal side to the verse. The verse applies whether I believe it or not. But do you believe that this still applies? That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask or search or think of in your mind. And the peace that surpasses all comprehension. God who is beyond all that we can imagine. God who is exceedingly great. God who is magnificently magnificent. He's got it all in control. You you read the Word of God. You long for the pages of the Scripture. You long for the words that are written, and you allow God to take His Word, His written Word, His inspired Word, to penetrate your heart. God, implant it deep within my heart so that Satan can't shake it or move it away from me. Look at Romans regarding Abraham uh, chapter 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed in God, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, He believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And brethren, that scripture was not written necessarily for Abraham. It was written about Abraham, uh, but that scripture was written for us. That Abraham did not waver in his faith. Once Abraham got to that point in his life, in his mind, in his heart, to where he believed the scriptures... That what God says he's able to do, God will do. Then the amazing blessings of God came upon him. Tonight I wonder, what exactly do you believe in your heart? Do you believe that God is able and will forever be able, that God can do and God has done so many amazing things in your life? To this day. And if you were to step back for just a moment. And. And survey your life. Your past life. Both the good and the bad. And think about the number of times. That God rescued you. It's an endless list. Think about. The amazing blessings that God has brought into your life. Things that without a shadow of a doubt you can say, wow, thank you God. I see the hand of God written all over this. 
and then it continue to carry throughout your life to think about this great God and these great blessings that God has brought upon us in our lives. It's amazing. And the question, the question for you to think about, to contemplate is, what has God personally done for you? What has God personally done for you? Maybe someone will come along and say, oh no. Oh no, I, I don't know how you can prove that to me. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. What has God personally done for you? And then when you step away just for a moment and you look deeper into your heart and you look around your home and you look into your checking account, you search your pockets or whatever, and then you say, what is God continuing to do for me? Because then you realize something. I haven't done anything. <laughs> Apart from me, Jesus says in John fifteen five, you can do nothing but all of these blessings that I have in my life. If God could bring me to this, spiritually speaking, I'm not, I'm not speaking of your home any longer physically, if God can bring me to this, and I'm talking about salvation, that God softened our hearts and opened our minds and we received the Word of God implanted years ago, maybe weeks ago, maybe maybe just last night, maybe sometime today. But we received the Word of God into our hearts and we went against all odds. Everyone else was asked us, what are you doing? And Oh, no, now you're going to try church. Now you're going to try God, right? And you decided that this is what you were going to do. And you're here tonight and you've held on to God for all of these hours and months and Years and years. And you can look back and say, wow, God is amazing. Because I'm in a spiritual relationship with the creator of the world. And when we leave this earth, we get to go because of our faithfulness, because we're baptized believers in Christ, because we're members of the Lord's church. We get to go home and to be with God for eternity. And for that, I personally, and I know you are too, eternally grateful. So tonight I leave you with this thought. Allow the Word of God to persuade you. You know, I know that that idea of being vulnerable is not always fun. Vulnerability is, is not, you know, boy, I just... Allow the Word of God to persuade you, to convince you. And when anxiety creeps in, allow the Word of God to overcome you and sink your heart deep into His Word and deeper into prayer and receive His Word implanted within our hearts. If you're not a Christian, we're going to be Devo in just a moment. If you're not a Christian... You're invited to become a Christian tonight, a child of God, to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. The invitation is from God, not from us. And if you're a child of God and you're struggling in your faith, we would like to pray with you or pray for you. 
You just need to make that known to us. And so the information will be on the board. It's on the board. We invite you. We thank you tonight for your time. And God bless each and every one of you. Stay faithful. Stay true to God. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. Thank you.